God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. The saga of the foolish priest comes on. So far, remembering most things I need to do in this liturgy. <laughs> However, as we were processing, getting ready to come out of the sacristy and around, I realized I didn't have a stole on. Come out here and said mass without a stole on, and then told you it was not a legitimate mass because I was not properly vested, therefore we had to do it all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Just wasn't thinking fast enough. Sorry. We heard from the epistle today St. John say, Let us love one another for love is of God. We went into great detail about what that entailed. Um, but it's easy for us to hear just that first verse and very often misunderstand means even uh, imposed on those words are petty uh, comprehension of what love is in the Christian faith. In these days, our society around us basically wants us to think that love means to be nice, or it is to have passion, gratify the passion. Uh, that's as far as the world tends to think of the word love. Uh, and unfortunately, we Christians are so inundated by the media and the world around us that we come to the church thinking the same things. I remember when I was a young Christian, this was way back before they had all this kind of uh, internet and media and things like that that could, could give us so much information all at once. But even in those days, I remember thinking that love meant some kind of sentimentality or passion wrapped up in religious trappings. So when I heard songs in the 70s like, and some of you will know this, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's, that's, so did I hear some moaning? <laughs> when that, that was one of my favorites back in the 70s. I, I, now I listen to it and I moan. Uh, but when I used to hear it, I used to think, oh, that's nice. We're all so sweet and nice. And that's what love is. And that's what Christians are supposed to be. And I had a hard time walking around with that silly grin on my face, you know, trying to express love as I foolishly understood it. Uh, having said all those things, read hear those words, let us love one another for love is of God. You can see how one could come bringing with him a misunderstanding. So what I want to do today is just touch on four things that Christ said, basically five, but four really that define love a little bit differently. This is not exhaustive. Uh, we don't want to go into that unless you want to be here for a couple of days, which I'd be glad to oblige you, but uh, uh, you don't want that. So in any case, these are just four things that I want you to, to remember. When we come to Christ, we bring worldly thinking with us. Uh, and part of discipleship, Christian discipleship, when we come here, part of this process is for us to be what I like to call retooled. We have to be retrained to think differently. One way to, to get it is this, as an example. Uh, when, when a clergyman comes into, when a priest comes into this church to, to lead a service, he usually comes in the back door, and if he's foolish, he'll look up here and see all this and say, all right, I got it, I know what I have to do. But I'm telling you from experience, when you walk up here and turn around and face this way, it's entirely different. It really is. And if you think you've got it, then when you turn around, you go, whoops, now what do I do? Uh, and all the people stand there looking at you like you're some kind of a fool. Well, you are. 
Because when we turn around and face the world, we leave the world. When we come in from the world, there's one view. And when we go back into the world, there's another view. I'll tell you what to do. When you come up for communion, when you turn around, I mean, look really closely this way as you're coming up. And when you turn around, look that way and notice how different it is. So we come into the church with the errant thinking, the thinking of the world, the thinking of our, of our faulty childhood or, or, or whatever happened in our lives. And we have to be retooled, retrained to understand what it is this is all about. So that when we turn around and look out, we have a different view. That's the essence of coming to the Christian faith. And unfortunately, too many people don't get it these days. And that's why they say, well, that didn't work for me. Of course it didn't work for me. You're standing back there looking this way and thinking you've got it. Wrong. They haven't even touched on it. We're leaving all of that and coming here and coming to this place where God appears and makes himself manifest. And we have to be retrained to receive that manifestation so we can see God as he is. Because after all, that is what he wants. So, a couple of things about love. First and foremost, we never think about this, but Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So obedience is a principle of exercising love in its truest sense. Obedience to Christ's commandments, but also in the church we've come to understand it's obedience to authority, it's obedience to all kinds of things. So even the rubrics need to be followed obediently and carefully. Very carefully. And the monastics would tell us to be obedient. Uh, Father Zacharias says we should even practice obedience in marriage, one to another. Not the old stereotype, you know, women bow down and, and, and beg, and, and men be these bosses who are slave drivers. Everybody be obedient one to another. So obedience is a principle that brings humility and transforms us. And obedience is love. To obey the commandments is to love God. And to be obedient to one another is to love one another. Boy, that's a different viewpoint. Our society says, indulge yourself and forget about obedience to anybody else. Uh, so we have to change. We have to be different. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Another one. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you. In other words, do good deeds to enemies. Respond to enemies enemies, whatever that means, anyone who resists us or hurts us or some such thing. It's broader than just literally enemies. Uh, so we are told, if we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're told to love them. And if we're to love them, we are to forgive them, pray for them, even do good to them. In spite of what they do, and you all know what I'm talking about, there are plenty of people out there who fit this category in our lives. But we're told to do good to them. St. Nikolai Velimirovich, if you've read his Prayers by the Lake has one prayer, uh, bless my enemies, O Lord. I highly recommend it. It's one of those profound statements about this that's ever been made. But one thing that he says about enemies, he calls them cruel friends. What a change in perspective. Cruel friends. Because they bring us to God. They force us to turn to God or be destroyed by what's happening out there. I don't think we want that. That's love, to do good to enemies. A third one, do charitable deeds. What? Well, that's be nice, yeah. The, in the story in Luke 7, the story of the centurion who came to Jesus with a sickly daughter and he asked Jesus to heal her. And the apostles appealed to Christ. They said, 
He built a synagogue for us because He loves Israel. So you see, they're appealing to the principle that love is expressed in charitable deeds, kindliness, decency, going above and beyond. And He did that. The tradition of the church says that that centurion was Cornelius, who was the first Gentile to whom the Holy Spirit came, Saint Cornelius. We don't know if that's true, but certainly why shouldn't we believe it? We believe the church before we believe the world. So you have do charitable deeds. Let me give you an example of this love in the deepest sense. In my first parish assignment, I had an elderly couple in the parish up in their 80s, and he developed uh, health issues that required him to have full-time uh, medical care. So they put him in a, in a, in a the full care center. They used to call them nursing homes in those days. They were bleak places, but at least he had full-time care. Well, she could have stayed at home and, and gone to visit him every day. It was a small town. It took her five minutes to get there, but she chose instead to go, to go in that place with him and to share a room with him so she could be with him, which she did. And then while she was there, of course, sometimes he'd be asleep, and so she'd be free to do what she wanted. So instead of going out and gallivanting around town like most people would do, finding something to do entertaining and self-gratifying, she walked up and down the hallways looking for people who needed help. Other people there who weren't ambulatory like she was, and she helped them. And then she found herself helping the staff, believe it or not, doing things for the staff. Well, her husband eventually died, and she had the opportunity to move out of that place and go live with her son and have a life. She chose to stay there. She chose to stay there and stay there until she died. Because that was, her, that was her understanding of what love was, and she wanted to do it, and she did. So do charitable deeds. Boy, it's broader than just you know, sending a check to charity. It involves us, something that we have to give. Notice how active these things are. Love is not just a feeling, it's an activity. It's an active response. And the last one, the fourth of these, to tell the difficult truth. This is a hard one, but one we are all going to have to learn in this time. In the story, in Luke 18, the story of the rich young ruler, remember that, the young guy comes to Jesus and he said, Lord, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he recited about seven of them. The young man said, I've done all of these from my youth. Jesus, it says, Jesus loving him looked at him and said, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And it said he went away sad because he had many riches. Now, I'm not telling you that you all have to go out and sell all your assets and your homes and stuff. I'm just saying, look at this picture in a general sense and, and apply that generality here precisely. And that is, <clears throat> Jesus loved him and told him the truth in a gentle and kind way. And then he let him go away sad. He let him go away. When the world comes to us, it will say to us, you are not being nice because we say, this is what we must do to have eternal life. This is what all of us must do. Let me give you another story that fits this. Years ago, I had a young girl contact me, she was about 14, and she was living with her grandparents. Her parents both had gone off the deep end somehow, and so her grandparents were rearing her. Well, I had a special place for 
for that kind of situation because I had three families in my parish where the grandparents were rearing the grandchildren. So this young lady wanted, eventually, she called me and talked about orthodoxy because she was looking into religion in her life. And she was looking at all kinds of things and she wanted to know about orthodoxy. She had heard some things that intrigued her. Eventually one day she asked me to come see the church just to see what an orthodox church looked like. So she came and her grandparents, well, and properly so, came with her. And as we were showing her things and explaining and talking, the grandfather said to me, you know, I humor her in this because, after all, all religions really are the same, aren't they? See, if he hadn't landed those last two words, I might not have had to respond. But he did, aren't they? Uh, you know, I would not have hurt those two people for all the world. They had sacrificed a whole lot to bring this young lady up and done a darn good job of it. But the way he worded himself necessitated that I tell him, that is not correct. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he's either lying, or he's mistaken, or he's right. And, 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 and I said, you need to consider that. So I got a little bit uncomfortable and changed the subject. We never came back to it. I don't know what happened there. I never heard from them again. And maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Uh, but I've learned in, over the years that God sometimes does things and it takes years before you see the fruit. That's why we can't expect immediacy in the Christian life. Try it out and keep trying it. Keep trying it. Keep trying it. Keep trying it. Keep trying it for years and years and years. Most Americans want immediacy. They don't get it. They quit. Well, I, I had to tell the difficult truth. I had to there. We don't always have to, and we don't want to be compulsive about it, or obsessive compulsive about it, but sometimes we have to tell the truth. We have to tell the truth to the world. When the world comes here looking for something, we must tell them the truth, because otherwise we tell them something else. And that's not being loving. It is loving to tell the world that Christ is the way, and that their humanity will be fulfilled if they come to Him. That's not cruel. It's not being not nice. It's being truthful and loving in the deepest sense. Well, four different things then. Obey the commandments. Do good deeds to enemies. Do charitable deeds. Tell the difficult truth. And then Christ says, do all these with all of one's being. You shall, the summary of the law, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. This is the law. And as the Jewish version of it goes, the rest is commentary. So we do this with all of our being. Now, having said this, this does not mean that we don't have feelings. It just means that feelings do not define the substance of love. Feelings are a byproduct. Sometimes we can love as Christ wants us to love and have tremendous feelings. And sometimes we can do it and feel nothing. I guarantee you. Go deep enough into the Christian life and there will be times when you will be expected to be obedient and you will feel nothing. I like to call it the great silence. When there's just nothing going on. But we keep pushing through to the end because that's what love of God is. When we come here, as I mentioned earlier, we leave the world and we come in here into the presence of Christ. And Christ is everywhere, and so therefore we don't need to come here to enter into His presence, but we do because we've been told to gather together, and so we are obedient to that telling. And we come here, 
And when we do, we leave the world out there and we come here to be retooled and retrained and restructured so that we may find life and what it means to be human beings. And it doesn't have anything to do with being nice or feelings and things like that. It has to do with being true to God. We are entering into a world far more profound than anything out there the world has to offer. And it is discovered through learning to love God as he has called us to love. Remember in the Chronicles of Narnia, the last volume, I'm assuming many of you have read those. Uh, <clears throat> they were popular too in the 70s, I don't know about now. Uh, but in any case, the last volume, when, when, the, when Aslan, who's the, the metaphor for God, uh, introduces the children to, to eternity, he keeps saying to them, higher up and farther in, higher up and farther in. Don't you remember that? We're coming here. We're coming higher up and farther in. Notice the ascending of the steps going up. We ascend. We go up. Aliyah in Judaism. The going up to Jerusalem, to the holy place, to the temple of God, to the place where God is. Where we learn who God is and what he expects of us. And this is to love in the true sense of the word. And in so doing, learning to be human as Christ wanted us to be. So in this instance, we are come to love, not as the world wants it, but as Christ understands it and trains us and teaches us. Reread re that opening verse. Brethren, let us love one another, for, God, for love is of God. Wow, it changes, doesn't it? It really does change. Thank God it does. I think life would be bleak without this great truth, and yet it's exciting and, and tantalizing and alluring uh, and inviting because of the fact that it is true. And the church has faithfully told us this truth for centuries and not altered from it. Thank God to them too for that faithfulness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.